Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this From the Field episode, Managing Editor Brian Gorman interviews Juan Luis Betancourt, CEO of Human Intelligence, on the concept of human intelligence as an approach to workplace culture. We hope you enjoy this installment of the Change Management Review Podcast. Hello, this is Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review. And welcome to our podcast with Human Intelligence CEO, Juan Luis Betancourt. Juan has, at, for lack of a better term, an incredibly impre- uh, impressive resume with his undergraduate degree from Harvard, his master's in business administration from Wharton. He has been a brand manager at P&G, Procter & Gamble. Went from there to Reebok and on to Puma, where he mastered their incredible turnaround and relaunch. Worked at Seabolt Systems as they grew quickly and grew quite huge. One second career was in the whole area of corporate search and recruitment. And as he puts it, his third school is human intelligence. So welcome, Juan. Why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about human intelligence? Thanks, Brian, for the great introduction. I really appreciate that. Human intelligence is at the forefront of culture. We help companies measure, manage, and hire for culture and therefore for predictive and improved performance. We use a very advanced uh, personality test or psychometric test that's been validated over 30 years. Combine that with technology, data analytics, and a very light AI algorithmic matching to be able to show facets of culture that organizations, divisions, teams, and leaders have never been able to get an understanding of prior to our existence. So when you talk about the BMW, and you're not talking about an automobile, what is the BMW of corporate culture? Great. Thanks, Brian. So I like to tell our clients in presentations that we did not come up with the definition of culture. We actually follow a lot of brilliant behavioral scientists around the world, many of which have been hired by very high-paying consulting firms. So we follow PwC, the Kotzenbach Center specifically, their vertical or group, as well as Deloitte, their culture group also within person by Deloitte, where they talk about three things are culture at the individual and at the collective cohesive whole. And that is the behaviors of a person or group of people. That's the B for BMW. The values or what we call motivators that basically set the values for a person or group of people in a collective group or team. And the way things get done or the work environment or for an individual, their work styles and for a team. So BMW are the three pillars to what culture is in any company. And we measure eight behaviors, 12 motivators, and eight work styles that give a good picture for an individual or team or group or division or all the way up for an organization, what they call company culture, that is a bottom-up way of looking at culture. Now, one thing or a few things that are not included in the Deloitte or PwC definitions, both of those firms, and we agree, end their description of culture with being able to align this aggregate culture of personalities or psychometrics to strategy will improve performance. And we agree with that and our clients see that. And it will allow companies to avoid a command and control management structure. Now, this is very important to understand. They are both saying, and we agree, that leadership and management is not part of culture. You don't need 
a strong leader to impose their will on people. It's not really culture by leader that really lasts. You should be able to get rid of the leadership team and that culture, that company should continue to operate and produce the products and the services that support the strategy and the vision, even without that same executive team. That's true culture, not that it has to be from top down. And that's a big misnomer in most of, of society around business. And the other thing they don't mention in their definition, and we agree as well, is engagement surveys and happiness and satisfied. Nowhere in those definitions do you talk about satisfied employees or their happy employees. That does not help you get to where you need to go as the deal breaker. That would be an output. If you have people who are aligned to the culture of the company, they by default will be happy or not. Okay, But by having happy people does not necessarily mean the other way around that you have the right culture for your company. One of the things that has intrigued me about your work, and this really came about in terms of my awareness after the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic, working remotely actually requires a different culture than working in the physical proximity, whether it's an office or a manufacturing facility or whatever. What are those differences? Great question. When COVID-19, or what most people refer to as the coronavirus epidemic, uh, impacted most companies in several G7 countries, including the U.S. in February, March, um, a lot of companies, we, we estimate between 89 and 92% of workers in the U.S. began to work from home or work remote. And we quickly adapted our platform, the module around culture management, to help companies for free, because this is something that I believe in this, the United States of America is an amazing country that's given my Cuban immigrant parents opportunity, myself, my brother, my family members, and all of my friends. This is an amazing country. And so we all had to band together and we created a product for free for all of the last four months to give to companies to help navigate this transition to working remote. Because many companies prior to COVID thought that their culture was in a booklet that they hand out to new employees or in a coffee mug or a t-shirt on the company wall, and that it really doesn't change every three or five years. But with COVID, they realized quickly, every company, that the W of BMW, how you get things done, the work environment, as well as values or motivators about wanting to be part of a team physically where you're seeing them versus being alone at your house versus someone who is very reflective versus outgoing and someone who's really outgoing in their behaviors, the B part of what we measure, they would prefer to be in an office. Now they're at home and, and that outgoing person is not happy. So we realized that we could just create a profile with a tool that we have already for hiring for a culture of intention, we could apply that little tool. It's like a ruler slide bar across the 28 attributes for BMW, behaviors, motivators, work styles, to a remote work scorecard and, and an ideal profile for that. And so for any company that used our products or, or um, uh, for free, we would uh, let every employee do this, get a score zero to 100, and let teams and leaders see who on their team would be at higher risk for working remote because as, as all companies have now realized, some of your best workers in the office during Corona, the last three months have become maybe some of your worst workers. And actually some of your worst workers have become your best. And so specifically to some of those attributes within B behaviors, people who are more reflective are going to work better than someone who's outgoing and has to see people every day in the office. People who are more cautious who can take those high quality processes 
and repeatable processes that are at work who like that are going to do better at home because they'll continue those processes in their job. Where the freeform person, the opposite of cautious, they're going to kind of let all caution to the wind and do whatever they want and their performance might not be as good. Within motivators, two highlights that we give are people who are extreme, who follow a personal sense of direction and are innovative in that way in their motivations and who have a unique perspective. They probably would do better than someone who's belonging and needs to be part of a team or someone who values tradition and has to have the same structure. And, you know, they get lost if there's not a copy machine and a, a place to go see all the things on the, on the whiteboard. And then lastly, under W for work styles, People who can work in a creative environment with new solutions and creative decision-making will figure out how to go make copies, even though there's no copy machine anymore, for instance. And people who don't need controls and the routine can figure out versus others who can. And so those tips and, and insights that we are now providing our current customers and even all the trials we're doing are really helpful to maintain a performance and improve performance of those who naturally would not be good at working remote. And that's that's been very helpful for a lot of companies and uh, individuals. So as I'm listening to you, Juan, one of the things that comes to mind is as companies are, quote, reopening, clearly there are some functional indicators that say this individual needs to be one of our early returns. But what I'm hearing you say is there are also some of these BMW indicators that say this person is great still working at home. This is a person that the sooner you can get them back into a physical location, the more productive and value to the business they're going to be. Great question. We're seeing a transition now in the use of our tool from being a culture measurement and diagnostic, right? That scorecard has been really just a diagnostic. And that diagnostic gave recommendations like the prescription. Now people are taking it with people being the decision makers are company, now that they're looking at the capacity utilization of their workforce and realizing that not everyone will, will come back and that there'll be this hybrid model, maybe up to 30 or 40% will stay working remote, right? Google, Facebook will stay remote till the end of the year. Coca-Cola, actually, who we're working with, uh, will stay remote rest of the year and then transition to maybe 30% will stay remote. They're now using our tool, not just for a diagnostic and then prescriptive, they're using it for matchmaking. Who shall we keep at home so that they are happiest and they're most productive in a natural state of being and who shall we bring back and bring back quicker to your point because that is more natural for their state of being so this kind of using our platform for a screening they're actually now applying our talent fit for recruiting not for hiring external people but for actually matchmaking and moving current employees to keep them remote or bring them back by role by team and and so that is a use of our tool for recruiting that we realize now can also be used for kind of what used to be called career mobility. Well, now this is career mobility applied to culture and in the short term, who should be where uh, in our workforce. As you talk about, again, the BMW, if Google and Coca-Cola and other companies are keeping people at home for a significant period of time, if I'm one of those people who would fare better in the office, is there training that can help me improve my performance working at home? Yeah, so we're doing a podcast, so I can't show you the demo, but in the platform, for instance, we give for each section behaviors for motivators and for work styles for the two or three areas where someone is not naturally strong based on their psychometrics or their work styles for working re uh, remotely, we put in, hey, these are your strengths and we list them out. These are your opportunity areas and these are some tips and recommendations. And so, for instance, someone who's really outgoing versus someone reflective, the outgoing person in their behaviors, that person wants to be part of a team. They're going to work poorly from home. They're going to be lonely. And so, 
you know, one strength of theirs is that they're calm under pressure. One opportunity is they might need to make an extra outreach effort to engage team members and stay connected and not become isolated. So the tip is to avoid being cut off from the team. Even though they don't have a specific task at hand, they should set up pre-scheduled weekly meetings on their calendar with each of the team members via video conference, okay? Even though there's nothing really specific to talk about, just to touch base. For that person, that would be huge the longer that they're working remote. And so we have for the 28 things, these tips and recommendations. Now, a large company can take that and do even more with their talent development or talent management group and do kind of development plans for people to help them understand how their psychology leads to some some challenges in working remote, but also some strengths for each individual. There is no good or bad in our platform. No, None of our current customers or clients or even trial accounts are firing people for with this. This just gives the insights to manage better to a steady state of higher performance. Kind of like the analogy I use, Brian, is in baseball, let's say a team drafted one of the you know top 10 pitchers in college. Well, no pitcher is perfect. They might have a really like a, a 90 out of 100 fastball, a 94 out of 100 curveball, and a 70 slider. You're still drafting that pitcher, kind of like the remote work example that now and, and so now if you change the rules on that pitcher and put the mound 20 feet back, like a remote work now, it's something different, physical space. The slider might now be, because they have more distance to, to, to do it, could become the 90. The fastball, because it's a far away, because it slows down, it could be an 80. And, and the curveball stays at an 85. And so the, the coaches and the coaching staff would just use a scorecard, zero to 100, to just work on those three pitches differently now that the environment has changed. And likewise, companies should always work, despite a change in culture, even if it's an external factor like COVID, to optimize the performance and the productivity of each employee. Again, no one being right or wrong, good or bad, but just trying to optimize where everyone is on their journey for whatever context exists in that in that journey. One of the things that comes to my mind as I listen to your talk, and you and I have had conversations before, historically, employees are the core resource of a business. And yet, human resources has been treated as a tactical part of, you know, it's where we hire, we fire, we pay, we administer benefits. What I'm hearing from you now is that by paying attention to the BMW and really bringing that into strategic decision-making, it has the potential of actually elevating human resources to a, a much more critical role inside of organizations. Yes. Now, this has been not our goal, but an output of just solving big problems for companies. The other day, a client saw our presentation, heard the case studies that we're saving some companies millions of dollars in hiring um, and improving manufacturing. And they, they looked at me and they said, wait a second, you guys are more than just a culture measurement tool and a recruiting tool that aligns culture to strategy. You guys are like that movie. And they said, they thought, they're like, what's that movie? Oh, you guys are like Moneyball for HR, where if you can use data and analytic, not only can you hire better, but you can have a better performing team, which wins more games, which then wins the World Series. And there's some famous movie, I guess, that they use, you know, analytics in, 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 to pursue the baseball example. And so, yes, we are kind of like that movie Moneyball for HR as per this client. And, and so what does that mean for HR? This is probably the biggest shift that people should take away in understanding functional importance in an organization. Like you mentioned, in the 80s, HR was a personnel department cost control, right? Let's just, let's figure out how we don't get fired, uh, sued, I'm sorry. 
and I'm dumbing down that, but a lot of people relate to that. Then it became kind of a seat at the table in the 90s and the 2000s where, you know, it is strategic, it's a strategic function, and that's why they have a seat at the table. But in those board meetings and those operating committee meetings, when the CEO is thinking, how do I improve performance? How do I improve ROI? How do I make a P&L profitable decision? It was usually the CFO or another P&L leader they looked at, not the, the head of HR, until today. Now that HR has analytics and insights around the culture of a team, a group, a division, a country, product lines, they can now explain what the CFO and previous business intelligence or BI within finance could not. Now, if the CFO and BI could always identify what what was happening wrong and where there was a problem with profitability or shrinking margins or more defects, they couldn't explain why. For the first time ever, that explanation of why at large organizations, whether manufacturing, retail, restaurant, hospitality, Fortune 500, it's around the culture. Aligning culture to strategy will explain the performance difference between five Starbucks stores that are high performing and five Starbucks stores that aren't. All elements in those stores, training, furniture, coffee, the CD-ROMs they sell, everything is the same except for the people in those stores. Same with manufacturing plants, okay? And so now HR has become equal to or more important than any other functional head in explaining profitability. And so now they can take on business performance, ROI driving projects to move the needle from a profitability in millions of dollars. Like for example, one case study that we'll give one of our clients, I won't name their name, but it's the largest furniture company in North America, about 12 manufacturing plants, 20,000 employees with 115% turnover. The head of HR made the decision to use analytics around psychometrics or culture around this BMW theory, which we gave them the tool. They ran it across all of their manufacturing employees and figured out what led to performing employees and were able to reduce turnover from 115% by 40% saving them $8 million in 2019. That is a business performance ROI result that the head of HR delivered to the manufacturing division and to that company's bottom line. That has not happened very often in most companies. That will start to happen all the time. And the competitive advantage companies will get in the future is not just looking under the hood through finance or analytics and BI. It'll be doing it through analyzing the people and the culture of groups, teams, and divisions. You've been talking really at the the, the more macro level, if you will, the groups, teams, divisions, the organizational culture. As a um, individual practitioner or individual employee within the company, could you give me some examples of how this might benefit me? For an individual, several benefits. And we actually always make the assessment part of the intake of data of people voluntary at all of our clients, even Coca-Cola. It's going to be voluntary. Most of our clients get about an 80 to 85% of the workforce that do it within the first two weeks. And then with another two weeks, because of the, what they say in Spanish, Corre la Voz, like the rumor mill, if you will, and how fun, yes, our HR software, believe me, which is rare, software, enterprise software, HR technology is considered fun at most of our companies because it's seen as so fun and the benefits for individuals that you end up with about 92% of employees taking it voluntarily. And why is that? And so what an individual gets out of it is self-awareness. Part of my vision as CEO of human intelligence is to help companies. Sure, that's great. But more importantly, what's driving my heart and my passion for this project at Human Intelligence is democratizing self-awareness to the world. Most of the tools that do BMW, the B 
tools are cheap and they're usually for people who are mid-level management and above, right? The disks, the predictive index, the strain finders, they're quick, they're cheap, they're easy, the Berkman, the calipers. But the M's, the value tools like Lominger, SHL, and other very expensive tools are only for executives typically. And so this is a way of democratizing self-awareness for all individuals at all companies, even the um, restaurant, retail, hospitality workers, the hourly workers, many of which today don't even have jobs. And so one, individuals get self-awareness. Two, they're able now to understand each other at work, understand their boss, improve their collaboration, their communication through better understanding, through writing an email or in the store floor, in the restaurant floor. So that improved collaboration, communication, understanding just makes work a more delightful place to be when you can actually connect and vibrate at the same vibration and a higher vibration with each other. Three, teams work better together at the team level and the overall output for the consumer or the customer or the client, no matter what industry, vertical or sector, leads to happier customers. And what happens to an individual when they're servicing a customer or client, that client is happier? Well, it's the same thing as when you walk down the street in New York. If you don't smile, nobody smiles. But if that customer or client smiles, you smile. And so there's this reflective property where everyone is more engaged. Everyone is happier, both employees, both customers. Satisfaction goes up on both sides. And that's where you get true engagement and people just coming home to their spouses happier and, and in a better place. And so that is kind of what the individual gets. It's better performance, better happiness, better engagement, better communication in every second of their day. That's a beautiful thing for this world. It sure is. Juan, is there anything else that you want to uh, pass on to the change management review subscribership? Just a comment that, you know, HR technology has often been about automating processes, just as most software has been for 50 years. For the first time, it's not about automating processes anymore. Okay. That's what they did with ERP systems. That's what they did with CRM. That's you've got the back office automated. You've got the front office automated in the last 10 years, right? And that's all spewing out tons of data and, you know, HR, 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 IS systems have been automating processes. Applicant tracking systems have been automating processes. But none of those things have really delivered the results that put HR in a strategic level to improve profitability, to improve engagement, right? How many billions of poll surveys have been done, yet engagement in the United States still is 30% after five years and 5 billion poll surveys, right? People are starting to realize that the engagement surveys is a lot of work for very little limited benefit, right? Where it matters is where psychometric analytics and AI have come together in a platform like human intelligence and other platforms like ours that are coming out where you can understand your people better to help align them to the right jobs for their happiness, for the right productivity and the right strategy alignment at your company and making this a yearly practice where you do the objectives, the goals, the strategies and measures during the business planning process at the end of the year to launch in the new year, but also adding if you're taking any changes in your strategy and your objectives, goals, measures, and action items, adding in that process a culture review and a culture mapping so that you can have a culture roadmap for that year and a target culture, which now with our platform, for instance, you can measure where you are along that roadmap and every quarter review it and every year review it because that will become a yearly practice to look at your culture, where you're coming from, and does it align to where you need to go? And that will lead to better performance, better profitability, and in the end, even happier employees. That's it, Brian. And, and just for you, Brian, thanks for continued invitations to share uh, intellectual discussions around people, culture, and technology. I really appreciate you holding space for this conversation. Thank you. 
we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review from the Field podcast with Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review and Juan Luis Betancourt. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn.